Good to be with you tonight. The subject that I was assigned was, uh, or is, friendship evangelism. Now, I took the liberty to change the title. Uh, I didn't check with the uh, committee if that was okay, but I think you'll find that when I looked at the words friendship evangelism, I looked up the definition of friendship. It's the attachment to a person proceeding from intimate acquaintance and a reciprocation of like matters. We all know someone that we are good friends with. We have things in common. Uh, we do things together. And uh, it also says... A state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two people. Now, you can certainly develop, which I'm sure you have in, in, this, in this setting that you have, um, friendships of people who you have evangelized, who you have brought to the Lord. You, you develop friendships with them. But it's not the forefront to evangelism. I chose to change it to friendly evangelism. Listen to the definition. In fact, that's actually what, <clears throat> when I uh, got the subject, I, uh, when I s- start on a subject, I'll take it paper and I'll just start writing some things down. And, and I wrote down what my brain heard or my, what my brain comprehended was friendly evangelism. That's what I wrote down at the top. And then I started making some notes. So friendly, the first definition, showing kindly interest or goodwill. Showing kindly interest or goodwill. Appreciated the songs that you chose tonight. Um, so when you when you see somebody, you have an interest in their in their eternal state, and so you show interest in that person. Um, second is not hostile. Obviously, we're not hostile. How would you ever win anybody over to Christ if you're hostile? It reminds me of my neighbor. Um, <clears throat> I had, uh, this goes back quite a few years, uh, back in the uh, late 70s. And uh, probably I don't think there was anybody even born here in, in the late 70s. Or, well, maybe maybe you were. Is there anybody, is there anybody uh, 45 years old? Nobody. Okay. Uh, anyways, because back in the late seventies, I my neighbor and I used to uh, uh, burn wood together. We had a wood burning stove, and so I would get the logs in the in the fall, and um, him and his boys would split it up, stack it on my back porch, and we would split it half and half. 
So I brought a little logs home. Now it was getting a little later. It was in, I don't know sure when it was, but there was snow in the ground and I had it on a, on a tractor trailer and I couldn't get up into where, in behind my house where I was going to put it. And, uh, so there was ground across from me and I knew the man who rented it was Roger Robinall. Now he didn't own it. He, he rented it. So, I figured that since he has crops on it, I called him up and said, hey, Roger, I said, is it okay if I dump these logs on your, on your, your uh, cornfield here? I was harvested. He said, sure, it's no problem. So I did. I uh, took the forklift and I dumped them all off on the, on the road or off on the field, the edge of the field. And uh, I came home that night and there was a no trespassing sign on them. So obviously I should have asked the owner, but... Anyway, my neighbor, he goes, I can't believe this. And he knew, he knew the man that uh, owned the land. And so I called the man and asked him to come out and talk, talk to him. So he came to my house and my neighbor came, he, my neighbor saw him come. My neighbor comes running up and I was coming out of the door and my neighbor comes up. And confronts him. I stepped back in my door because this got pretty loud. I mean, it got, they were going back and forth at it. And Gene was my neighbor. And, uh, I, I stood inside the door listening them back and forth at each, two grown men. And Gene said to him, he said, you know what? If I had, if I had the last jar of air, on the earth, I wouldn't give you any to breathe. Wow, that sounds pretty hostile. So then it quieted down. And you'll never believe what Gene said. He said, can I ask you one thing? It's all done. They're all... The gentleman owned it, told him he could not set foot on the property. And... Uh, Gene said to him, I want to ask you one question yet. Do you know Jesus? That was a wrong. That was a wrong thing. That was a wrong question. After an argument like that, you wouldn't give him the last question there. So, not being hostile certainly fits. Um, I did get the logs off. I was able to... Uh, Work out a compromise. Anyway, involving or coming from actions of one's own forces. I've added, or rather internal forces, the indwelling Holy Spirit. The indwelling Jesus. Cheerful comforting. The friendly glow of a fire. And I've added the friendly glow of Jesus that dwells inside of us. Easy to use or understand the simple gospel in a nutshell. So I believe that when we are, are confronting people and evangelizing and witnessing, people need to see us as people who are friendly, easy to talk to. And I want this to be an encouragement tonight. I, I don't want to even suggest that you are witnessing, that you are um, evangelizing. 
I just want this to be an encouragement to help us to um, give you some some encouragement to continue to do it and make it a part of your life. You see, evangelism isn't something you do, it's who you are. If evangelism is something you do, then on a Sunday afternoon when you go pass out tracts, and you go around town, you pass out tracts in a group, it's safer that way. I mean, as far as we feel more comfortable when we have other people around us. Um, passing out tracts is a form of evangelism. But when you're done with that, maybe you do it once a month or whatever, when you're done with that, it's like, ah, I'm done with that. No, it's who you are. Um, evangelism, the definition Webster defines, uh, defines evangelism as um, spreading the gospel by public preaching or personal witness with the intention of sharing the message of, of Jesus. The message of Jesus Christ and the teachings. Also, there was a uh, another definition. It was zealous ab- advocacy for a cause. Now, obviously, evangelism, which we're all familiar with, in a group, revival meetings, evangelistic meetings. How many were ever saved? Were saved in an evangelistic service? Okay. How many were saved on a one-on-one? Somebody, somebody shared Christ with you, and you got saved on a one-on-one. Anybody like that? Um, some have been led to the Lord by their parents. I remember getting saved at a revival meeting back when we used to have it two weeks in a row. And and I'm just thankful that my father, who was a dairy farmer, felt the importance. There was five of us. There was four boys and my sister was the oldest. And we got to revival meetings every single night. I mean, you got the milking done and we got the church. And uh, I was I was under conviction. I was 11 years old. I was under conviction. And as evangelists would preach, preach his heart out. And uh, I just felt God really calling me. Now, you know, there I am, 11 years old. I wasn't into drugs. I wasn't into alcohol. I wasn't, don't think I used bad words. And yet, there I sat, 11 years old, under conviction. I felt God calling me. I felt the Holy Spirit nudging my heart. And it was, I think it was the last night of revival meetings that I finally made the decision to walk around. And I'll never forget that feeling in the prayer room when I prayed the sinner's prayer, the feeling and the weight of the guilt of sin. We have all been born in sin. And so, but the subject 
is more to personal evangelism. And I want you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 55, the Old Testament. Isaiah 55, beginning with verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing wherein I send it. And so it is in evangelism, we, we use the word of God. It is God's word that is powerful, it's quicker, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces even to the dividing of the soul and spirit. And it is when the word of God is, is given to someone, and yes, it can be in a track, whatever, however it's done, but it's the word of God that penetrates into the very being of that person. It says, for ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree. So instead of the drunkard shall come up the fir tree. The fir tree is a is an evergreen and it's it's green all year. It's like a Christian. That's a Christian all year. We don't lose our leaves. At least we shouldn't. We shouldn't lose our witness. The evergreen just, to me, stands as a, as a picture. God's picture of, of a Christian. That is full of life. 365 days a year. Now when we built our house, what, eight years ago? I didn't put any, any leaf trees on my property. At the farm, I had enough of raking leaves. I put all evergreens, white pine. I farmed evergreens for 12 years and uh, I've always appreciated evergreen trees. And so I put them all, I probably have 45 evergreen trees around my property. And uh, I can look out in December. I can look out when it's blowing snow and I can see green. They're not leaves, they're needles, but they're green. There's light there. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. Now the interesting thing about a myrtle tree it contains our, our um, myrtle tree is a um, is a tree that has green leaves all year long. It has flowers on it, and after the flowers go, it gets uh, some blueberries on, and so the. Um, the myrtle tree contains essential oils used for their antibacterial and antiseptic qualities. Isn't that something how the, how the scripture gives illustrations 
of instead of a briar, instead of instead of a uh, a drunkard, instead of a a thief, instead of a an adulterer. I think of of a man. Most of you probably heard of Billy Sunday, but Billy Sunday was a was a professional baseball player, and uh, he was a carouser and a drinker. And Billy Sunday got invited um, invited to a uh, a service, and he got saved. He left professional baseball. He became an evangelist. And Billy Sunday preached his heart out against alcohol. In fact, when he would move into a town like he did in Scranton, they would build not just a tent, they would build a, a wooden tabernacle. And in Scranton, they were there for, I, I think he was there for almost a month. The beer joints closed down. They literally closed down. The town was under conviction. So instead of the briar, instead of the thorn, a myrtle tree. So it shall be the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. We go to the New Testament in Matthew 28. We have Jesus, the end of his ministry here on earth. He said this to his disciples, all powers given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So what Jesus was, was doing was transferring his ministry to his disciples, to us. We have been given the responsibility to be evangelists. Not just on Sunday. But every single day of the week. Luke says pretty much the same thing. Uh, Mark, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And so we have to realize that there are two groups of people. They're saved or lost. Luke. Luke 24. Beginning with verse 46. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and 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 the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You see, the gospel is not just a social center. Church is not just a social center. Just a gathering for, for um, fellowship. That's part of it. But we gather together to be taught. We gather together to... 
to uh, be encouraged, to be charged, to go forth, to discharge. It's all part of the Sunday school class. I mean, I, I grew up in Sunday school class. I, I heard all the stories of the Bible, but it was in preparation for when I was going to come to meet Jesus as my personal Savior. That's all part of what the Sunday school classes are to, to help us to understand that teaching these young lives the importance and looking at our lives, how important is Christ to us? They see that by our daily activities. They see that by our priorities. They see that by how important church is to us. And so he says that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send you to the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye into the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Then in the book of John, it's a little different in the book of John, it just Jesus speaks to just one person, Peter. And three times Jesus told Peter to, to, to feed the sheep, to feed the lambs. But he asked each time, he said, Peter, do you love me? What he was trying to get across is the importance of loving Jesus so that we can love others. Then we go to Acts chapter one. And this was just right before Jesus um, left at his ascension. Jesus' last words to his disciples, and it was what he commissioned them to do. He says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Shenandoah and in Mount Carmel, in Harrisburg, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Did your Bible say that? You see, most of us spend most of our time in Jerusalem. Jesus was giving, just kind of setting the tone that most people are going to spend most of their time in Jerusalem. And he said, I want you to be a witness to me in Jerusalem, in Shenandoah, where you live, where you work. Do the people know where you work that you're a Christian? Have you ever witnessed anybody on the job? And he promised that we would receive the power in order to do it. Evangelism is motivated by passion. And passion is driven by what we love. When you love something, I, I know, I'm going to use that term, but, you know, if you love hunting, enjoy hunting, you're pretty much passionate about it. You, you buy all the gear, 
You buy what's necessary. You get up at a ridiculous hour in the morning to go out and sit in freezing cold weather. Makes no sense to me. I don't get it. I never was a hunter, but I have two boys. Matt and Joshua. They are passionate about hunting. They love hunting. And they have some really good trophies on the wall, too. And I live right next to Joshua. And he goes hunting up in the woods there. They get up at way early in the morning. And, and uh, my son has driven all the way to Canada hunt moose. Hunt moose on a canoe. Where when they shoot the moose, they have to section that moose and canoe it back to the camp in freezing cold weather. And they, they're up there for, for a week, week or so. And you know where they take their bath? In the creek. Not hot water. It's freezing. You have to love something to do that. You have to be passionate about something to do that. You see, evangelism is motivated by passion. Evangelism is motivated by your own personal deliverance from sin. And its consequences. You know, I've been dealing with diabetes for 51 years. And over the last while, it has gotten worse and worse. The other day, my wife came home from school. She found me passed out on the floor. When she walked in, there I was laying on the floor. I was laying on the hardwood floor with my arm under my shoulder for about two hours. I was out cold. It pinched the nerve in my in my arm. Um, I've had so many so many situations where um, my son found me laying underneath the car. It was my my boots? Well, actually, and what happened when I fell? I broke my glasses, had two black eyes, and uh, my son found me. I was laying under a car for about three hours, and I had, because I, when, I, when I go out, I start flailing around, and I kick my boot, my boots were off, and, and I was flailing around, and I took this hide off of my floor of my shop, as plywood, and it took the hide off of my here, all the way down, it looked like a third-degree burn. So I, I've woken up the paramedics in my bedroom. I've woken up the paramedics in some strange places. One time I was doing a battery call. I worked for Taylor's Garage, and I was doing a battery call in Sealand's Grove. And uh, was an elderly lady. She was a Christian. And... Uh, she had a breezeway, and then it went into her house, and I told her, I said, when I'm finished, her car was in the garage, I said, when I'm finished, I said, I'll come in, we'll do the paperwork. We have to fill out 
came out, when she came out, she saw me laying in front of the car. Flat out on the concrete floor. Oh my, he went to sleep. So she called her son, she said, I don't know what to do. She said, I checked on him, this man that's out here doing the uh, battery and he's sleeping in front of the car. She said, Mom, call 911, he's not sleeping, I'm sure. And I came to it at idea more. So anyway, I could give you story after story. So if somebody tonight gave me the cure for diabetes, if you handed me the cure for diabetes tonight, do you think that I would stick that in my pocket, I would do what it says, stick that in my pocket, and never tell anybody? There'd be something wrong with me, wouldn't we? Wouldn't it? You'd think there's something wrong with that man is very selfish. I would tell everybody I knew. Everybody. I would tell my sister. She's been diabetic as long as I have. I would tell Jordan Martin who's in, in, uh, in church. Who's had it since he was what? I would tell everybody I knew. Why? Because I know what I live with and I know what they live with. It never goes away. It's 24-7. 365 days a year. 51 years long. And then when they die, they're lost forever. And here we have the gift of life, eternal life, where we're going to heaven. And people we meet who pump our gas in the grocery store, wherever we meet, there are people that are dying and going to hell and we never say a word. I think Christians ought to be the friendliest people on the face of the earth. I've met some. I've met some that had business that were supposedly Christians. I I'm assuming, uh, but for whatever reason, what took place in their heart never made it to their face. 
never made it to their face. Because they've been in their place of business. Went up to the cash register to cash out. And I thought and I felt like I was, I was intruding. You know, uh, I worked for two years for my daughter and son-in-law who had a, a store, a surplus store, in Milton. I was working at the garage and my daughter said, Dad, would you come work for us? And I wasn't looking for any place to go, but I asked, I asked my boss and he said, hey, Family comes first. So I left. It was 2017, and I worked in the back and unloaded trucks. I used to enjoy um, unloading the trucks because I would pick the truck driver's brain, ask him questions. Are you a Christian? So I went on back to truck or two before this, this fella, I asked the guy, I said, are you a Christian? He said, no. I have no attention. He said, and I don't even, I don't even talk about it. I said, so then I started the conversation with him and asked him what made him hostile towards it. Came from his home life. And, uh, so we talked and then in the conversation with the fella, he said, you know one thing I can say I appreciate about being able to talk to you? He said, you're easy to talk to. And he said, we can discuss this without anybody getting angry. Well, that's part of being friendly. Not hostile. Um, so anyway, I, this truck driver, I asked if he's a Christian. Um, truck was unloaded and he was gone. And I, I went back to the table where we sort, sorted all the goods that came in and priced them and I turned around and I saw the truck driver come in I thought he had left and he motioned me over and I went over and I thought something was wrong and he said I want to I just want to say something to you he said I've been doing this for 15 years going in and out of stores and places of delivering he said never once in 15 years has anybody ever asked me if I was a Christian I should have challenged him. It didn't come across my mind quick enough, but I should have challenged him to how many times have you asked people if they were a Christian? Friendly evangelism is rooted in love. Friendly evangelism is rooted in passion. Friendly evangelism involves understanding what you have been delivered from. Friendly evangelism is intentional execution. What I mean by this is you're read up, you're prayed up, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you go out... And the, one of the best days of the week 
to share Christ, to witness his money. And what you do is you look for look for um, mind the Holy Spirit. An intentional execution means that you intend to witness to Christ. Witness. You intend to. So as I drive up, whether it's a flat tire, whether it's an out of gas, whether it's a um, a tow, a battery tow, whatever it is, I intend to share Christ with whoever I come in contact with. So I have to be intentional about it, but I also need to execute the the intention. And so what I do is look for key key things. When somebody says something, it's and, and mind the Holy Spirit. So if somebody says, yeah, my battery went dead yesterday or Monday, I'll say, well, then you, uh, did you get to church yesterday? Or I'll just ask, how was church yesterday? Or ask them if they're a Christian. Pulled in. Oh, it's almost eight o'clock. I pulled in uh, at the doctor's office, and I pulled in beside a car that I noticed was having some car trouble. And so I got out and I said, "Is there something wrong?" And she said, "Yeah, she said I have a dead battery." She asked me if I had jumper cables, and normally in my truck I carry. A lockout kit, and I've unlocked cars in Walmart parking lot. I've seen somebody, you can always tell when, they're, when their keys are locked in. They're always looking in there like that, standing there, like, um, trying to pull the top of the door down. And so I had left it in the rollback, so it wasn't, I didn't have it with me. I said, no, I don't have jumper cables. And then she said, well, I need to, I need to get into my appointment. I said, I do too. I said, uh, she said, I'll see if I can find somebody with jumper cables. So we both went our separate ways. I went upstairs. She went over the other way. And I went upstairs to my endocrinologist. And this, I had an endocrinologist before who was a Christian. And she was a genuine Born again, love Jesus Christian, and we, we always we talk spiritual things after we got the physical thing out of the way. Um, and so then I got a new endocrinologist. Her name was Teresa Hirschberg, not a Mennonite. So the first visit I had, we sat down and she went over my history, and then she um, she takes my pump. They go back and they they uh, download it for the last three months or visit every three months. So we're all done with all that. And I sat there and I looked across at her and said, now you're, you've got me all checked out physically. I want to give you a spiritual checkup. I said, are you a Christian? She hung her head and she said, yes, I'm a Christian. She said, I am. I really kind of strayed away and backed away from it. 
Um, I haven't been doing much of anything. So I really encourage her. I said, um, I said, you need to have your personal devotional life. I, I encourage her to, to um, get a devotional book, read the Bible, and start that way. And so the next three months when, when I came, she said, I saw your name on, on the list. And she said, I could hardly wait to tell you how I'm doing. And so each, each uh, every three months, I check up on her and see how she's doing. She checks up on me. And, and, uh, but I think my checkup with her is more important than hers on me. I'm going to die with diabetes, but I'm going to die a saved man. And so anyway, I came back out, and uh, she was still there. So I said, did you find somebody? She said, yes. She said, I did. She said, my neighbor's going to be coming out. She said, I'm just sitting here praying. I said, her name was Dominique. I said, are you a Christian? She said, no. She said, um, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. But she said, I just, I, I walked away from it. She said, I've, uh, I've tried Islam. I've tried Jehovah's Witness. I've tried all kinds of things. And she said, I'm just, she said, this is one of the worst days of my life. She said, I got evicted this morning. I said, you know what, Dominique? I said, Jesus is calling you to himself. So I went over to the, my truck, I always carry in my pack that I carry uh, at work, I carry a little satchel. It has my glucose tablets in it, which I need physically, but it also has a Gideon New Testament Bible. And so I've given quite a few of them out to different places. And I went over and I grabbed a Gideon Bible, and while I was there at the truck, the Lord told me, give her some money. And you know what we do sometimes? We can tend to look at the situation. Reminds me of the Good Samaritan. Where the priest and the Levite, the priest walked on the other side. The Levite at least looked at him, but he probably says, huh. He's not dressed like he, he just, I don't, I, he deserves what he got. And sometimes we make judgments. I went to pick up a fellow the other, some time ago, I don't know, kind of just runs together. And when I got there, we stand alongside the street, and he had tattoos everywhere, up his neck, and earrings up around his ear. I'm thinking, Lord, where do I start here? And so, as we were standing there, I was, I was contemplating, and I said to him, I said, I don't forget what his name was, I said, are you a church going man? He said, no, but he said, I've really been thinking about me. He said, I grew up in the church. He said, I sang in a choir. I said, what happened? He said, I just walked away. But he said, it's really been on my heart. You see, we never know what God is doing in a person's heart when we come upon them. 
We don't know what we can do in, in watering that seed and encouraging that person. So anyway, I went back to, to Dominique and I, I handed her the money and I handed her the Bible. I said, the Lord uh, spoke to me about giving you this, this money. And I gave her the Bible and she clutched the Bible and she held the money and she just wept. You know why? Because I believe that she was touched with the friendly glow of the fire of Jesus. That's what people need to feel. They need to feel, and I could give you account after account of of people that the Lord have put in my pathway. You know, there's no season for witnessing. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetousness, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient parent, unthankful, unholy. Aren't we there? Without natural affection, we are really there. Truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers, those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Then if we go over to uh, verse chapter 4, Charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. There's no season. It's open season on sinners. It's open season. There are no Evangelism has no cultural boundaries. No cultural boundaries. I just want to encourage you. No matter where you work. All the fellows in the garage I've, I've shared Christ with. They're hard. They're ungodly men. But I am thankful that they respect me enough not to curse. Not to take the Lord's name in vain. In fact, if somebody does, they will correct them. They will correct them. So I don't know what seeds, the seeds that I've sown. And here's the important thing. You never know the person who you come in contact with or somebody has been watering the seed and it's just ready for harvest. Or somebody has, has planted the seed and you can water it. You don't know that. But when you mind the Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows what the need of that person is. And when you mind the Spirit with an intention to execute the witness, that's how the gospel 
can be spread in Shenandoah, Mount Carmel, Harrisburg, and the uttermost parts of the world. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your eternal word. Thank you for your encouragement to us. And you commissioned us to be your witnesses. Help us, Lord, to take that serious. Help us to realize what we have been saved from and saved to. To realize that there are people who... are lost and we might be the only person that is bold enough or cares enough to reach out and share Christ with them. Encourage each one of us tonight to be that witness. Bless this congregation here. Lord, it is a a church that is set on this hill to be a light and a witness and a testimony to those around here. Thank you again for this congregation, the people that are here tonight. Lord, bless them, encourage them, and use them in your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.